Welcome to X-Rated Movies. I'm one half of your hosting team, Matthew Fisher. I'm the other half of your hosting team, Ryan Whedon. Hi, Matt. Hi. <laughs> and we are two guys that used to date, and now we don't. No. And I'm still upset about it. Were you upset about it to begin with? How are you still upset? All right, you're right. I'm, you I were lying. so happy to be rid of me. You were good riddance. I'm... And we're done. <laughs> yep. Kicking him to the curb. Like so much used refuse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When it wasn't even garbage day. <laughs> Just get it out of my house. <laughs> Kick directly to the curb. Mm-hmm. How are you doing, Matt? I'm okay. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah? Yeah? Um... You know how at the end of our podcast, we're always like, hey, do these things to, to talk to us. Uh, somebody wrote to us. Mm-hmm. And so I want to reward that behavior <laughs> by giving them a shout out here on the podcast. Okay. 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 Uh, so the guy's name is Mike Langley, and he has an album coming out, or maybe it's already is out. I think it's already out, uh, where he did an alternative soundtrack to Eraserhead. Oh, cool. Yeah. And it's, uh, I haven't, I've listened to snippets of it. I haven't actually got a chance to watch it with the movie yet. But apparently, you just like hit play on the album at like a certain point. And if you watch the film muted, but with subtitles on, okay. it, like everything lines up and it's sort of like a whole new experience oh, cool. to watch it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't remember much of a soundtrack for Eraserhead. It's a lot of like just noise, kind of. I think. Oh, is it? So yeah, it's, yeah that's kind of cool. He's not like trampling on something sacred. Like this is sort of uh, free territory here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Other than that song, like the weird, the one with the weird face, like mm-hmm. sings and tap dances to. Uh, yeah, I don't remember any songs in that or music in that. I definitely listened to that track, and um, it's pretty exciting because oh. he, he he works mostly with synthesizers. Nice. So it's so like juicy, yummy, synthy. Goodness. Oh. Also, the name of the project I should, I'm going to tell you right now is called Cat Temper. That's on Bandcamp. But he has an, an album on there too that I've been listening to a lot called Purring for Vengeance. Oh, nice. Yeah, same thing. All synthy, dark. Goodness. I was playing it with Pony on Saturday. So oh, wow. lots of people in Seattle have been listening to it as well. <laughs> maybe unwittingly, but <laughs> it was great to hear from you, Mike. Thank you for writing in. I'll let you know how I feel after I try it with the movie. <laughs> But it got me thinking, what are some other movies you'd like to hear that with? Where somebody redoes the soundtrack completely. Um, hmm. I, this is only sort of tangentially related, but I saw a scene from Vertigo with the music of Mulholland Drive. Oh, cool. Behind it. And it made me realize that, like, Angela Battlementi's music is really just meant for, like, moody cinema like it's it's almost interchangeable because it worked so well in vertigo (laughs) uh Uh, but i think that's sort of the strength of it so i don't know maybe angelo battlementi scoring just more things yeah have him do like marvel movies or something like that to to give it a little character yeah uh what if he did like a uh how to train your dragon (laughs) How how do you think that would go down that's a little too family friendly. <laughs> I mean, not that the Marvel movies are, you know, R rated or something, but um, you know, maybe some sort of more adult fare. Maybe have Angela Battlementi start like scoring, you know, uh, uh, True Detective or something like Ooh, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does he do uh, soundtracks for anybody else besides David Lynch? He has. Yes, I can't think of them. <laughs> 
uh, right off the bat, but he has. I'm just putting you on the spot left and right today. <laughs> I know. I should have studied. <laughs> if I'd known there was a pop quiz. <laughs> well, I, I guess I should posit the same question to you then. Oh, yeah. What movies do you think deserve a soundtrack redux? I mean, TBH. I would like to hear more like deep synth work because I really feel the color palette of synthesizers is just so broad and delicious mm-hmm. that I'll bet you could do like uh, westerns or something like that I think would be really interesting. Oh, okay. Because uh, otherwise it's just, you know, you get twangy guitars and it's, very, it's all very predictable. I'd like something that's like way out of there. Yeah, so like No Country for Old Men or something like that, mm-hmm. getting getting the synth treatment. Sure, why not? Well, because uh, I feel that, that, say, the soundtrack to There Will Be Blood is like a defining characteristic of that movie. Oh, definitely, yeah. Like, it's all strings, like there's nothing else to it, but just, it's so modern. Yeah. Like, you know, the movie doesn't take place in modern day, but the music has a modernist feel to it and they really accentuate each other quite nicely but yeah i don't know sometimes i feel weird about old like period pieces that have modern music in it yeah like uh mary antoinette like the soundtracks never really sat well with me mm-hmm. uh some people love it some people think that it's a great addition and in glorious bastards with like the funk music that's in there like that always feels a little jarring to me okay so i don't know sometimes doing a a modern soundtrack on a period piece can be a little risky but like no country for old men technically takes place in modern day yeah and you know it works the other way too because uh 2001 has classical music oh yeah you know it just goes to show that you can uh use any music really (laughs) Mm -hmm. just does it does an important job of setting the tune but i guess with synth music because I don't make a big distinction between, say, Sith in- instrumental and acoustic instrumental. Mm-hmm. So I feel like synth, you can get away with a little bit more than you can, say, like a pop or rock song in a period piece. Yeah. The way the Tarantino does it. Yeah. I rewatched uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark recently. That first fight sequence in the bar uh, in Nepal, there's no soundtrack to it. Oh, yeah. Um, and I was just thinking, like, you know, in a modern movie, they'd shove in some, like, you know, Beastie Boys song or something in there. So it's just like, it's. I always feel that that really dates a movie is when you start throwing in like pop songs. Yeah. Uh, in Cronenberg's The Fly, you know, that scene when Jeff Goldblum is like running high on his own adrenaline and like goes out on the town and arm wrestles that guy. Yeah. And like breaks his Tears wrist. His arm off. Yeah. <laughs> Cronenberg says that like he was offered like a lot of funding for the movie to put in a pop song he didn't say what pop song it was he didn't want to like you know drag someone else into it do you want to speculate yeah <laughs> i think it was soft sell oh, okay <laughs> but he decided against it because he thought that putting in like a modern pop song would break up what howard shore did and do a disservice to it so yeah. he said no yeah i mean oh man now i'm always i'm like backtracking here because then I think of like the Batman Returns soundtrack, which is a great soundtrack, and then there's that Susie and the Banshees song. Which, but that's like at a party, like yeah. when, they, when they play that song, like they're like at a masquerade ball. <laughs> um, but and also, Danny Elfman wrote it with Susie Sue, so it's oh, like, did he? Yeah, like oh, integrates because it in works it. really well. Like the, it, it's introduced with like the the heavy strings, mm-hmm. 
and then you know you don't really hear Susie singing until there's dialogue. Yeah. So it just it kind of works its way in pretty organically. Yeah. Uh, That's that a good song's example. really good though. Oh, I love that song. Yeah. Yeah, Super and it works good. really well in the movie. Like it suits the mood of that scene really well. Yeah. I can tell you where it didn't work was in a uh, Brian De Palma's body double. Have you ever seen that? I haven't. No. So there's a scene where the the uh, I think the actor's name is Craig Watson. Okay. He was in a couple things in the 80s and then in nothing ever again. He goes to this like underground sex club. Oh my. And relaxed by Frankie goes to Hollywood is playing. Oh yeah. And like it kind of works. You're like, okay, I'm, I'm kind of into this. But then Frankie's there <laughs> and like it starts like lip syncing. Like Frankie's singing like the lyrics to relax and he's oh. like in the sex club like breaking the fourth wall singing. That's like, what the fuck? <laughs> That's weird. Yeah, because the rest of the movie has, you know, sort of a, a Bernard Herrmann-esque score to it. Like, the whole movie's a, a Hitchcock ripoff. Oh, okay. Like, like, it's Rear Window meets Vertigo. Okay. You know, he's in a sex club, though, so it's like there's pulsing music going. You kind of buy into the idea that Frankie Goes to Hollywood could be playing in this thing. But then it's like when he's there, it's like, what? <laughs> what is going on? They're like, we need to get a new manager. Like, we can't keep playing these sex clubs. just like is defined by its soundtrack yeah one day one day <laughs> today's not that day matt <laughs> no, no not at all today we're talking about a movie with no soundtrack really yeah i don't recall any soundtrack care to take a guess what movie that is well i think it's 1988's alice jan svenkmeyer is that how you say his name i'm fingers crossed all right pop quiz hot shot how many Films from the Czech Republic can you name right off the bat? Uh, 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 waiting in Line for Bread. Waiting in Line for Bread 2. Uh, uh, Are those real movies? No. Oh. <laughs> I'm not even sure if Czechoslovakia was behind the Iron Curtain. So. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure at least part of it was. I, so, all right, all right. God, pop quizzes all over this episode. <laughs> I have a lot of feels on this movie. Okay. Like, I'm just going to say, I didn't take, like, any notes, but, like, I have, like, a couple big questions. Okay, great. Well, I'll start out simple. So, uh, Ryan, what is art? (laughs) (laughs) All right, I like that you're starting simple. (laughs) Well, uh, you know, art is uh, expression of emotions or thoughts through means other than you know straight up words worthy of webster's (laughs) so yeah i define art similarly that it's some sort of personal expression done through a less than literal medium Mm -hmm. you know i'm not just saying what i mean i'm illustrating it like through poetry or written word or some other means and this movie is like all right i put like all movies on a spectrum, really, okay. of like art to entertainment. Okay. Or like a Venn diagram, perhaps. And way on like the, the art end is, you know, a Tarkovsky film or something like that. Or or Schizopolis would actually be really arty because I feel like that's 
so personal that I think only Steven Soderbergh really derives like knowing Meaning pleasure out it. of it. Yeah. 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 And then on the other end is entertainment. This is, you know, your reality shows, your, your fast and furious, <laughs> fast and furious you know, that sort of thing is on the other end. And, you know, right in the middle is that like juicy spot where you're making something good. That's where I put like a RoboCop, let's say. Okay. You know, something that is pithy, has a lot of meaning to it, has a lot of depth, has like Paul Verhoeven's actual views on like American society, but also has like a lot of crowd pleasing elements to it. Sure. So like that's like right in the middle of that that Venn diagram. And today's movie really falls <laughs> hard into that art category. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I wonder who is this movie for? I think it's for anyone who appreciates imagination okay. and uh, seeing unique things. Also, just anyone who wants to be transported to a place that is completely new, like Alice. So, all right, I got... Oh, God, we should really look up if the Czech Republic was behind that. <laughs> because... Part of that, like the, the the whimsical aspect of like being transported someplace, is a romanticism to that. But there's no romanticism in this interpretation of Alice no, in Wonderland. Yeah, it's uh, very dark and pretty violent. Even we should preface this by saying that uh, when we initially did our like movie challenge like ten years ago, yeah, yeah, this is one of the movies that you gave me. So this is my second time watching the movie. Same here, actually, and it's a lot more affecting this time than when I watched it initially. I liked it better this time around too. Part of it was that having like a couple years ago, I watched the Disney Alice in Wonderland. Then very recently I watched the Tim Burton Alice in Wonderland. Okay. So watching this one really draws attention. Like I'm, I'm, I have the other ones pretty fresh in my memory and it's like, this one's so dirty. Like everything is used. The paint is chipping on everything, every desk. And there's a lot of them. (laughs) (laughs) is just like old and worn out and beat up and is just dented and you know bumped and just like clearly used. almost oh like yeah, yeah like bargain Antique-y. basement yeah <laughs> in the disney and burton versions like alice comes like from high society and the alice in this does not look that way like her dress looks very secondhand. Her socks look old and dirty. Her haircut isn't pretty. Like yeah, it's a little uneven. Yeah, she's got some split ends. Yeah. Well, also the color scheme in this movie. You know, you think of the Disney one, and it's just like bright, vibrant colors, and the Tim Burton one too. Mm-hmm. And then you think of this movie, and it's all muted, and like there's almost no color in the movie. Really, it's all like pasty browns, uh, like just very. Yeah, because the pink that Alice is wearing is definitely like a faded pink. Yeah. It's not vibrant in the slightest. Even when they're like kind of out in a field, it's like rocky or kind of brown grass almost. Oh, yeah. Nothing ever gets like vibrant colors. Which makes me think like I why I just sort of assumed that this was like a Soviet film like this is a movie at the tail end of the Soviet Union right as like things were about to end for everyone and it's like oh, okay yeah this is his world like nothing is new even like upper class like because i don't know what you know i don't know if alice was part of the paula bureau or not <laughs> like is wearing like clearly hand-me-downs like the, she's not wearing new clothes 
And I mean, everything, like even near the end when she's like in the closet with all the food stuffs. Yeah. It's like everything kind of looks gross. Everything's pickled. Yeah. Yeah. It's like jars and yeah. uh, Aluminum cans of just kind of gross looking food. And I don't know. It kind of reminded me of uh, Christoph Kieslowski's uh, Decalogues. Oh, okay. Because that all took place like in an apartment essentially. Okay. And like everything is dirty there. And like that was in Poland in the late 80s. And this didn't seem that far removed. Like, it had that similar aesthetic to it. I Yeah, I got the feeling that he was setting out to make, you know, basically Alice in Wonderland, in my mind, is, is like a child's dream or like it's some sort of weird dream that Alice is having. And this time, I think that he went around and wanted to make it more of a nightmare. So do you think that he made this intended for kids or no? I don't. No? No, it seems to me that it's more of... Well, I don't know. Like, I don't know if it was made with an audience in mind. See, that that's h- kind of how I feel. Like, I almost feel like he made this just for himself. Yeah. Al- you know, Alice, I read somewhere on the internet that uh, she's sort of like Hamlet, where, like, you don't have to stick to the details specifically. She's so, like, universally known that you can do whatever you want with it. And so mm. I think that he probably just used the framework of that to be like, I want to do some more animation, you mm. know? And like, and, and really, there's no plot. And the book doesn't have a plot. The book is just, like, vignettes, basically, of things that she does. Mm-hmm. And so that seems like an easy route to go with this because it's just, like, here's sort of, you know, a room that she goes in. Because also, this Wonderland is a lot of rooms. It's not, like... Yeah. different places you know it's just like she goes from room to room there's always a key to open a door somewhere and then she opens a door and then there's like the caterpillar or something like that you know there's like right that caterpillar that will give me nightmares yeah <laughs> something about teeth and eyes well I, I remember you told me once that like the poster for evil dead 2 has always scared you <sighs> because it's like the skull with the exposed eyeballs Ugh. and there's a lot of that in this movie i know like the I... rabbit's eyeballs are pretty bug-eyed and there's not a lot of flesh to like <sighs> cover them up and the teeth and the sound it makes yeah it's... all the sounds in this are really brittle too like they just sound sharp and gross i mean right n- yeah right near the beginning when alice is falling through the bucket <laughs> Like, I'm like, what are we listening to? <laughs> yeah, it's it, bizarre. Yeah, it sounds terrible. Like, it sounds great, like, as, like, a world-building thing, but it sounds terrible, like, in an ASMR, like, yeah. sense. Yeah. If you, uh, you know, it's like uh, the person working on it, it's it's like a barbarian sound studio yeah. <laughs> situation, probably. They were just like, I need to do nothing but fluffy kids' picks after this, because... <laughs> Well, because, like, the rabbit is terrifying. Like, his eyes don't even point in the same direction. Yeah. He, like, he's got, it keeps his watch inside his body. Yeah. I mean, it's like a Videodrome situation Mm -hmm. here. Like, (laughs) he's got a slit down his chest that sawdust falls out. Because it's a taxidermied rabbit that comes to life. Yeah. Which is creepy. And it's, like, just, like, little things, like. It wasn't like a taxidermy rabbit that they like kept on their mantle. It was like one that they kept in like the corner of a <laughs> spare room. Yeah, which and is it, really creepy. <laughs> it is, and then like it comes to life and it has this gash that like leaks sawdust, and he keeps his watch in it. And every time he pulls the watch out, he licks the sawdust yeah. off the watch so he can read the face. 
Which I thought was gross at first, but then I was like, oh, no, he's just putting the sawdust back in. Yeah, replenishing <laughs> himself. And also, I, Alice, I noticed this time, too, that that happens to Alice. Before she climbs into the first desk drawer, Yeah, uh, she's, like, fumbling around, and there's a, the compass, like the spinning compass thing, and she pokes her finger on, she's bleeding, mm. and then she licks the blood off. Oh, So okay. it's like, that's kind of what the rabbit's doing, right? If you yeah. think of his sawdust as blood, he's just like, I don't know. Like, you do that. Like, I do that with if i cut my finger or something that doesn't seem weird but like for some reason it was weird when the rabbit was doing it i just noticed that parallel this time i I think if i was like stabbed with a sword or something i wouldn't try and like (laughs) cauterize the wound with my mouth (laughs) lick your wounds (laughs) but yeah it's just yeah there's like the rabbit with his like really jagged like you know rabbit teeth and his eyes that don't look directly at you and then he's moving, you know? It's like stop motion, which is already kind of a creepy medium. But it's it's super, like, janky stop motion. Like, you, it's really hurt. He moves, yeah, he moves, like, uncomfortably. I, th- I think some of the other things move a little better, but... I don't know, that caterpillar did not. <laughs> I also noticed this time around, and I don't know why I didn't think more of it the first time I saw it, but, like, it starts off with Alice, like kind of getting bored you know on the riverbank as she's getting read to and then she fumbles through the book and then like slaps her hand gets slapped pesky bee yeah (laughs) but then that's when we cut to the uh titles and i just noticed this time how many times alice gets hit like she's constantly saying like ow ow and like getting hurt It's like those fucking branches hammered into the top of her head. I know. Uh, by that swimming rat. And then she's okay with it up until when he starts a fire. And she's like, that's going too far. You think it was because how it smelled? Like burnt hair? Yeah. Oh, it smells terrible. That's why she's like, no, okay. You can you can pound steaks into my head. But <laughs> and you're burning hair around me. Because the movie starts out fairly faithful to at least what I perceive the original story to be where it's like she's in the room and there's the little door right and she drinks the potion to shrink her but then she left, left the, the key, key on the on table, the table. Yeah. and so she has to eat the the crumpet or whatever <laughs> and then she grows too big and she she can get the key but she can't fit through the door which is like how both the Disney movie and the Burton movie, like, they both have that same element of, like, not being able to balance your size yeah. versus the resources you need to leave this room. And so, like, that's in it. I don't know if that's in the book or not. I think so, yeah. Also, crying when she's so big and it, like, fills up with water. I think that's part of the book, Which too. is so weird to watch it live action. I was thinking that, too, because that means she's in, like, a tub or something. Like, how did they make the room fill with water like that? Well, I was just thinking, like, the concept is weird. Like, in a cartoon, you don't think about it, but it's like this little girl is crying so much that it fills up with tears. Yeah. I don't, there's something about the, the, the tangible aspect that we're seeing of it. I'm like, oh, this is upsetting they, a little bit. He, like put, uh, he must have put, like, some kind of waterworks things going onto her hands because she's rubbing her eyes, mm-hmm. and, like, it's just she's just wet. Her face is just wet. So I looked up to see what else this actress has done. Uh-huh. Nothing. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was like, what if, like, this was, like, your one movie? And then, like, you went on to, you know, be an actuary. <laughs> like... <laughs> And you're just like, yeah, I was in a movie once, and it's like this art house classic. 
show it on like a, a third date or something like that. And I'm like, I don't know if this is going to work out. <laughs> She's the only human in it, right? Well, besides the woman at the very beginning. but Which I don't even think we see that woman's face. No, we don't. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's sort of true to the story. Like the only other human in like the story is like the Queen of Hearts. Right. She's a card. And yeah, she's a card in this. Is there a king in the story? <sighs> I don't remember well enough. Because there's a Probably. king here, and I remember he just like kowtows to his wife. Yeah. I like, uh, he's 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 very into his procedurals. He's like, don't worry, we'll get to the beheading, dear, but we need to get <laughs> through these parts. Okay, so I like the spell that this movie casts. It's sort of just like, I didn't want to... S- like look away to to write notes or anything because it's very very visually compelling i mean that's why i didn't write notes a there's so little dialogue that you're forced to watch it to know what's happening right i think i took like one note and it it, it's when she's like they say something like you must close your eyes otherwise You won't see anything. Which I'm like, oh, I like that. <laughs> yeah, beyond that, it's like, no, you kind of have to just, like, glue yourself to the seat and, and go through this. Do you think he's trying to say something with making this world all kind of beat up looking? Well, or I, is it just, like, this is my vision? Yeah, I, I think it's more his vision. I think that, you know, this is someone who, I think he's still alive. I, I looked up, and it didn't show a death date, at least, on okay. his Wikipedia page. I think this is someone who was just, like, born and raised, if not the Soviet Union, definitely a poverty-stricken Eastern European territory. Yeah. And I think that, like, his imagination just doesn't allow him to imagine a regalness that he only knows secondhand beat up you know physical objects mm-hmm. he only knows hand-me-down clothes he only knows split ends and uneven haircuts that the idea of something else is like outside his realm of thinking mm-hmm. so it's like even if he read the lewis carroll novel his idea of like upper crust society is still this mm-hmm. maybe it's like it's an older like people who like a family that had money and is slowly like it's dwindled away kind of thing and so they have just old furniture they have a big house but it's like there's you know taxidermy in the corner of a room yeah I, I just i just don't think that jan really knew what high society looked like mm-hmm. and so you know if you don't know what it looks like how can you you know use it as a springboard yeah Cause yeah, I mean, I just every scene, I'm like, paints chipping, things are dented, things are stained, all over the place. Yeah, everything's old and creaky. Uh-huh. And I just, I feel like that's just what a Eastern European nation at the end of the '80s looked and felt like. Yeah. So part of me just feels like he he didn't know any other world. Like that's just it. <laughs> question for you mm-hmm. what's the creepiest creature in the movie uh that caterpillar keep your temper it wasn't just like how the teeth were exposed it was i think it was in conjunction with like the wooden mushroom uh-huh. and like how alice like cuts off the end of it and then she can't like tell the mushroom pieces apart 
from the like wood chips. Uh huh. I'm like, this is so like uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. She's like it looks like she's really chewing on wood. Yeah, it's like she can't tell the difference between food and wood. <laughs> it's like some upsetting dream that I'm having. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, I'm hungry, but, like, everything looks like wood chips. And, like, I'm getting anxiety because I'm, like, I'm so hungry, but, like, there's nothing to eat or something. I don't know. Is this a dream you've had? No, it's just, it seemed like the the anxiety dreams that I have, it's always me trying to do something simple. Okay. And I can't do it. And, like, that's giving me anxiety. Like, I've done this a thousand times before. Why can't I do it this Uh, one time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I don't know. There's something about it. Or maybe Alice in just, like, the doll phase. Yeah. We should say whenever she shrinks, he turns her into a doll that looks like her. And then she's suddenly stop-motion animated. But, uh, yeah, she's a little creepy as, as the doll. Yeah, and there's just some, like, yeah, like, just emotionless face. But you still hear, like, Alice's voice. And... Mm-hmm. He kind of has a thing for dolls. Like, uh, you mentioned you watched... The short film Jabberwocky. Yeah. And that's just full of like I mean, it was a while ago that I saw that, but yeah. There's lots of dolls in it. There's a lot of violence in that one too. Like, but almost like kind of funny violence. I don't know. We should also mention that this movie's not without a sense of humor. I think there's some funny things to be seen. What's a funny scene for you? At the tea party. Mm -hmm. um, As the white rabbit is there... He's looking at his watch. He's like, I'm going to be late. I'm going to be late. And the March Hare is just, you know, spreading butter on all of the uh, watches. On all the watches and, accident- and does it onto the White Rabbit's watch. As he's leaving, he pulls his watch out and it's, you know, the sawdust is stuck to the butter. And so he just kind of wipes it off and then puts it on Alice's leg. <laughs> I lolled at that. That's yeah, funny. That's funny. <laughs> I don't know why I remembered this, but, you know, last time I saw this was, you know, close to 10 years ago, I guess. And. I, but I do remember so vividly the Mad Hatter every time they changed seats and like the feet oh, would yeah. stop. I don't know why, but I remember that clear as a bell from the first time that I watched this. Huh, okay. There's a real sinister feeling to that whole tea party. No room, no room, no room, no room. They're very mechanical. Mm-hmm. So, something that like I've never seen it presented as before is like they're just, they're crazy people who just keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Like they, their watch is stopped at six. So it's always tea time. And it's like, must keep doing this. And that's, they just keep doing it over and over. I don't know. Like so, I've never seen the madness of it presented that way before. Yeah. Th- I mean, there is a, a manicness in this version yeah. that is not in other renditions of this. I mean, I don't know enough about the source material, to say like what is symbolic of whatever Lewis Carroll was meaning to represent, you know, I, I don't think he was meaning to represent anything. Like my understanding is that he just like was making these stories up for these girls on like a boat trip and oh. um, they loved them so much that they're like, please write them down for us. Oh really? Yeah. And so he wrote the, he wrote them down and kind of like tweaked it a little bit, added a little bit here and there. But for the most part, they're supposed to be kind of just like entertaining children's stories. I heard that, the reason why he put in a Mad Hatter is because Hatters did go mad back in this time period because you would, like, crease the brim of a hat with mercury. And it was before people knew that mercury was toxic. So all these, like, haberdashers would go crazy, like, in their old age because they had mercury poisoning. Mm. 
it's possible that he knew uh, a person who made hats and just like used that because I, I know that like it's not in this movie, but there's the um, the caucus race where they're just running in a circle, mm-hmm. and, which is in the Disney one. But like the dodo is uh, a play on his name. It's not Lewis Carroll. That was like his nom de plume. Oh, um, but like dodo is a play on his on his name. And then like there were some other ones that was like he's just playing off of things people's names that the girls would know kind of thing. Mm, mm. And so it's just like, it's totally possible that he knew someone who was a hat maker and was okay. like, well, we'll toss that in. And like the girls know him too. And everyone says he's mad. And isn't it funny when you go nuts <laughs> in your old age? <laughs> well, I just think of uh, that Kevin Smith movie dogma where the angels like convincing that woman that, uh, Alice in Wonderland is this big like rebuke of organized religion. That poem, The Walrus and the Carpenter, that's an indictment of organized religion. The walrus, with his girth and his good nature, he obviously represents either Buddha or, or with his tusks, the Hindu elephant god, Lord Ganesha. That takes care of your Eastern religions. Now, the carpenter, which is an obvious reference to Jesus Christ, who was raised the carpenter's son, he represents the Western religions. Now, in the poem, what do they do? What do they do? They, they dupe all these oysters into following them and then proceed to shuck and devour the helpless creatures en masse. That's a tangent that's not in this movie. <laughs> no, but I mean, another reason I wanted to like pick this movie is because like Alice in Wonderland is such an interesting thing to me just because it's so influential and so reinterpretable. And it's just, you know... She's so, such a cultural icon. Like everyone knows without having read the book or maybe even seen some of the movies, you know that there's like a caterpillar, you know, there's mm-hmm. a Mad Hatter, you know, there's a Queen of Hearts and she says off with their heads. Like it's just like so embedded in our culture. The IMDb description of this movie is a surrealist revision of Alice in Wonderland. I'm like, wasn't Alice in Wonderland already like a surrealist landmark? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, isn't that like almost a a defining new chapter in surrealism. Yeah. (laughs) But this almost seems weirder than, like, the stories that I've seen elsewhere. Yeah. He he takes it and makes it scary and weird. Like... Yeah. It's not a... Like, wonder... You know, the idea of wonder can mean, like, Disneyland, everything's a, a special thing. Butterflies come and kiss you, blah, blah, blah. But it could also mean, like, scary and different. Sure. Just anything that's, like... I've never seen that before, and like you can still get that same kind of feeling of, oh, what a wonderland. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, all the skulls with eyes and all the... just Living food. Li- and yeah, the, the dinginess of it all. Like and he, how many desk drawers there are. Every single drawer, like by about the fourth one, I was like, oh, she's going to pull that handle off. <laughs> Four or five times, she like pulls them off that's kind of funny too how it keeps every time she goes to pull a she drawer doesn't learn a lesson yeah <laughs> alice is interesting also because it's like you know how often can you think of like a famous heroine and uh she she's not perfect either like she's kind of a dick <laughs> she's uh she kind of a dick or she's just a kid i mean yeah and she's kind of smart though too she like stands up to the adults and things like that but mm. like She's also kind of crummy. I don't know. like <laughs> Crummy little privileged kid, little brat. So watching this, I kind of saw how this may possibly, potentially, maybe influence the people behind Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared. Oh, yeah. Like, there's something about, like, 
the innocent yet creepy creature animation then i'm like i kind of feel like they've at least seen this or are informed by this sure yeah they don't really do stop motion per se but um no but definitely i'm i'm sure they've watched this yeah like the way that you know the march hair kind of looked like the yellow guy's dad <laughs> or not the march hair the white rabbit uh-huh. uh looked like the yellow guy's dad just little things like that like you know they both have like eyes that like looked one direction or the other and just did creepy things i don't know i i feel like the people behind that were informed by this movie or at least if not this movie specifically uh then jan svenkmacher svenkmeyer svenkmeyer okay did you think of uh worker in parasite while watching this at all <laughs> Well, a little bit, which also like kind of was like, oh, this is a Soviet movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> what the hell is that? I don't know enough about like Soviet art mm-hmm. necessarily, but uh, it just seems like you could present this movie or you know that <laughs> worker parasite to me, and it's like you know, like I guess this is their style. I don't know. It's so strange to me the idea of maybe like growing up with that. All like all all around you. Mm-hmm. There's like a loneliness in this movie. Yeah, that like I hear a lot in like in in like Soviet music. Like people talk about like extreme loneliness. Like composers will always be like, you know, this is what it's like working in an invisible city and things like that. And I don't know. I kind of get that because Alice, like we don't even see the face of another human in here. Yeah, and she's kind of just wandering alone mm-hmm. and i don't know i just got a skull eye creatures yeah <laughs> showing up once in a while i don't know i just, I just got a like a kind of lonely vibe from this movie yeah also there's something about because it's like she's in a house or mm-hmm. some building of some sort and if being the only person walking through these echoey empty halls kind of adds to that too yeah i also i found the moment when the mouse was in the um Mousetrap, the one that had been swimming oh. and built the fire on her head. Yeah. Uh, I found that so sad this yeah, time. Yeah, that was a little sad. I don't know. I, I didn't remember that from the first time. Me neither, but it really was just like, oh, I wonder what she's feeling in that moment. Like, should I have not drowned him? Should I have let him just, he was just making some stew. Yeah. that That's what I've, uh, I mean, granted, she couldn't know what was happening quite on top of her head. But it's <laughs> like, why would you let him get all the foodstuffs out before tipping him over? <laughs> like, that's just wasting his food. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like, she's kind of a jerk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. There is definitely like a somberness too. like it's it's very. You know, there's like a sinister and somber somnister. (laughs) Well, like we we watched a a short film by Jan before recording. this. Yeah. uh, The dimensions of dialogue. And I didn't get that same feeling of either loneliness or discardedness no, or, or anything it's mostly funny it's primarily funny yeah yeah uh especially that third part <laughs> recommended um, if uh if you like stop motion animation yeah, it's only like 12 minutes and it's free on vimeo yeah but have you seen his other like feature length movie little odic oh no i've seen the trailer for it, but i haven't seen it oh okay yeah i, I don't know i think I, I might go visit that one yeah I think it is supposed to be a horror movie, actually. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. 
Um, which yeah, go that way. <laughs> like <laughs> if if your your you know predilections are for creepy, like make it creepy. I'll go back to like my original question of like who is this movie for? I think it's just for Jan. Like I don't know how we got the funding for this. I don't know who was seeing the dailies and mean like yeah. <laughs> Keep Box it up, gold. <laughs> We're uh, gonna make so much money because it just—it seems like this is a movie for no one. If I were the producer on this movie, I'd be like, "Oof, we might want to think about this quadrant system here." <laughs> We're gonna be taking a hit on this one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's more just like art for art's sake. I think, kind of like uh, let this guy create because he makes interesting, terrifying things. So yeah, go nuts and. I, I'm a sucker for that. Like, I, I guess I put value on originality like this. You know, like, I'm a big Guy Madden fan. Yeah. Uh, I love uh, Don Hertzfeld. I just love, I, I guess that that's, that's the kind of stuff that really speaks to me. Mm. Uh, I can't live there all the time. Like, this movie, it's like, okay, I'm good for maybe another 10 years. But, yeah. like, uh, I did enjoy watching it. It's just such a odd thing to just kind of let wash over you. I'm glad that you had me rewatch this because i don't think i would have independently mm. and watching it again though i enjoyed it more maybe it's just that the like the tim burton one that i watched so recently and it's just like cgi shit <laughs> uh and seeing this like it's all nitty gritty and it's all rough around the edges and it's all choppy but because of those imperfections there's a personality to it and I will definitely take something with more personality and less money than the reverse. Yeah. Same. And normally, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I almost always hate it when people are like, you know, let's take something, but then make it dark. That just seems like so overplayed nowadays. Well, I wouldn't say that Jan was trying to do that. I felt he was like, I just want to do Alice in Wonderland in stop motion. And it just happened to be dark because that's how his sensibilities are. Mm. Yeah, I don't think he wanted to make it a nightmare retelling of Alice in Wonderland. And it's just, I think that's, you know, what did uh, Morticia Adams say? What's normal for the spider is chaos to the fly. Oh. I think we're all just flies watching something the spider made. Mm. I like that. getting chills thinking about it like <laughs> any of those skulls with eyeballs just no thanks yeah because at one point there's like uh they're making like horse noises but they're like chicken skeletons yeah like, but well they still have like some feathers on them but it's like their heads are skulls yeah and uh, there's some weird combination of feathers and bones <laughs> uh but they all have exposed eyes like all these like little <sighs> skeleton creatures but they still blink. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I'll just reiterate. I'm glad that I rewatched this because I wouldn't have on my own accord. It's wildly inventive. And it's just it. even having seen it before, it was a very unexpected journey. Yeah. And uh, I can't say it's recommended for everyone. But uh, if you're ready for a journey and uh, want to feel kind of weird, <laughs> check it out. Jan has his own distinct flavor. Yeah. <laughs> What it is, I don't know. <laughs>
So Matt, I guess what you're saying this time around is that I was right. Would you say uh, that I was right about the movie you're going to do next week? So the further exploration into Ryan is wrong. Oh, Father. You're so wrong. The last two movies that I had you do were movies that were widely seen as being great, good masterpieces somewhere along that spectrum. I'm worried where this is going. (laughs) This time I'm having you you defend a movie that you think is good that is widely perceived to be bad. Okay. What could that be? Uh, We're going to do Tim Burton's Sweeney Todd. (laughs) Okay. Great. I'm excited to watch it again. You're going to have to shift gears (laughs) instead of having your teeth bared to rip into something that somebody loves. You're going to have to defend something that most people hate. I'm going to have to jump in front of the axe-wielding crowd. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. I will do my best. Next week, Sweeney Todd. Yeah. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. You want to plug our junk and get the F out of here? Well, we have finished the chicken picnic. Hey, everybody. We've got a website. It's called xratedmovies.com. <laughs> and uh, it's where all our podcasts are. It's where all our information about us is located all sorts of stuff it's fun check it out you can tweet at us at x-rated movies you can follow us on facebook at rated x movies and you can email us x.rated.movies at gmail.com send us suggestions for opening banter or questions you want us to answer or movie scores that you've composed oh yeah there you go oh and if you uh if you have a moment hop on over to the apple podcast thingy dingy and put in some star reviews and some uh, comments because we love your wherever name. you get your podcast. Yeah. Leave us love. Yeah, it could even be on Spotify. Which we're could, now on. Which we're there now. <laughs> you can listen while you're working out. And that's it. Okay. All right. See you next week for Sweeney Todd. I'm ready. Keep reaching for that rainbow. <laughs> <laughs>